That better? It might be that you've had a health scare, um, and that, that makes you reassess your lifestyle. It might be that you've had marriage troubles, and those marriage troubles make you reassess your behavior to your wife or to your husband. But we have close escapes, don't we? We have near-death experiences. My close escape um, was almost the most embarrassing thing in my life. Um, I had a very important engagement, and that engagement required me to wear a suit. And that's all I'm prepared to say about it. I was down the church, and a reminder went off on my phone to tell me that this important engagement was beginning in 10 minutes. And I remember running down that corridor there. I won't tell you where I was coming from, but you can guess. And I was saying out loud, oh no, oh no, oh no. I was in a massive state of panic, I thought there's no way I'm going to get to this really important engagement. Unusually, fortunately, I had a suit hanging in my office. I never have a suit hanging in my office, but I do now, because I've learnt. I always have a suit in my office now. I never have the car on a Friday, but I had the car this Friday. And I managed to change my clothes, and I managed to get in the car, and I managed to drive to the venue in 12 minutes. So I was two minutes late. I thought, I've, I've got away with it. But I was at the wrong venue. So I made a phone call, and they told me where they were. And I arrived at the correct venue 15 minutes later, so I was now it's about 20 minutes late, let's say for this really important engagement. And I was greeted with the words, Ben, I'm so sorry, we didn't specify the venue when we booked, we just presumed. And I said, well, no harm done, we all make mistakes, just one of those things. And I carried on as though nothing had happened and I got away with it, I've confessed it tonight, but I got away with it. It went smoothly and nobody who was involved to this day is any wiser. I came back to the office, it was a Friday afternoon, the back of my head were pulsing. And I had to just sit down for, for half an hour and, and do nothing. And as a result of that close escape, I've changed a few things. So for a start, I always keep a suit in my office. Secondly, I change the settings on my phone so that now I get a reminder for any engagements 24 hours before rather than 10 minutes before. But we have close escapes and we hopefully learn lessons from them, close escapes, don't we? We're all sinners, we all have close escapes, we all need to wake up, but how do we respond to those wake-up calls? Well, amongst other things, that's one of the things we're going to look at this evening. Last week, Abraham or Abraham, had a close call, didn't he? He had a close escape. And we'll see tonight, and we saw a bit last week, he's learnt the lessons. Well, tonight, Lot has a close escape, and we'll see whether or not he learns the lessons. When God teaches us a lesson or when, when God rescues us from something that we've done that's stupid or we have a close call, how do we respond? That's what we're thinking about tonight. And what we're going to do is work through the, the narrative, then we'll break it down. We're going to look at the four sets of people that we meet or four sets of people that this passage points us to and, and we'll see what they teach us. So we saw at the end of last week, didn't we, how, how the time came for Abraham and Lot to go the separate ways. They've got this massive amount of, of people and cattle and, and, and crops and all that kind of stuff, um, and the land can't support them. And that sets the scene for what happens tonight. 
If you remember, Abraham's the one with all the rights. He's the, he's the oldest one. Um, Lot's his nephew. But Abraham shows grace. It's the kind of grace that comes when you experience grace, isn't it? When you experience grace, it should make us gracious. And so Abraham lets Lot choose. He says to Lot, you choose the, the land that you want. I'll have what's left. Now, we've got to remember that one of the big promises was about God giving him this land. But Abraham thought, no, I'll let Lot choose the land he wants, and, and I'll trust the Lord to give me the land that he's got for me. And Lot chooses, doesn't he? Lot sees the bright lights, and he, he goes off, and we're told in the passage you looked at last week that Lot's living on the outskirts of Sodom. Sodom's this wicked, wicked place. If you had to put it, if you had to put it into context of what we looked at this morning, Abraham pursues joy, and Lot pursues happiness. Sodom had a reputation. It's where we get the word sodomy from. It wasn't just a place of bright lights. It wasn't just a place of entertainment. It, it was a dark place. You went to Sodom if you wanted to indulge in dark things. And the, outstanding, or the astounding thing is that, that Lot took his family to live on the outskirts of Sodom. We, when we read the New Testament, we find out Lot was a Christian. We're told that Lot was righteous. He was a saved man. But if you had to put Lot on trial for being a Christian, you'd struggle to find much evidence. Lot's one of the great warning signs in the Bible. We'll, we'll meet him in a few chapters in more detail. But Lot's one of the great warning signs in the Bible to show us, yes, as Christians, we can't lose our soul. But when we go after a certain lifestyle, when we go after certain things, we might pretty much lose everything else. So anyway, that, that's in the future. Lot takes his family. Lot moves in the direction of Sodom. It's quite specific in, in chapter 13, verse 12, that Lot's right up there as far as Sodom. But he's living on the outskirts. He's living in the, in the suburbs of Sodom, Sodom. But where do we see him next in chapter four, verse, 14, verse 12? He's living in Sodom. Lot's moved into Sodom. He never sets out to do that. He never sets out to live in Sodom. He sets out to live on the plains overlooking Sodom but that's where his heart was. He pitched his tent towards it and he ends up as a, as a resident in this filthy, horrible, wicked town. So we've got Abraham faithfully living in the land that God's promised, even though he doesn't own it. And, and we've got um, Lot living in Sodom. How is Abraham going to inherit the land? Verse 13, verse, chapter 13, verse 15, it's not by fighting, it's not by storming it. The Lord says, I'll give it to you, Abraham, trust me. So Lot separates from Abraham, Lot takes the best of what Abraham's been promised, and off Lot goes. And it's not all roses. In those days, um, you had kings for cities and kings for regions. And we're told these four kings, led by Chedorlaomer, or Chedorlaomer, whatever his name is, Chedorlaomer. Basically, these four kings um, ruled over what we know now as Iraq, Iran, northern Turkey, and Syria. Powerful kings. And these four kings attack five kings who rule over cities in the plain where Sodom and Gomorrah are. So they're not as powerful, but they're still classed as kings. If you're a trivia buff, by the way, this is the first war mentioned in the Bible. Or mentioned probably in history. Anyway, Chedorlaomer and his three kings, they prove too powerful for the five kings of the plain. Effectively, what happens is Chedorlaomer and his, four, and his three kings, so the four of them, 
they come down and they take on these five kings. They're too powerful for the five kings. And so the five kings effectively come under tribute to Chedorlaomer. I watch too many mafia programs, but I think it's like a small town that's taken over by the mafia, and all the shopkeepers and all the businesses, they get to keep the business, they get to keep trading as normal, but every Friday, the boys come round and they collect. They collect the 10%. And it goes well for about 12 years. What happens is, is the Chedorlaomer every year he sends his heavies down and, and they, they come and they take the, their percentage, they take their tithe and they go back up north and the people in Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities carry on as normal. And then after 12 years, 12 years of coming under tribute, 12, 12 years of giving away the prophets, the kings of the cities on the plain, they get together and they say, we're not going to pay anymore. We're going to stand up to them. We're not going to pay. And they refuse to pay the tax. They refuse to be controlled by the other kings. They refuse to fight back. And so we read in the 14th year, Chedorlaomer gathers these other three kings from the north and they come down to the cities in the plain. And they're the, the taking over and destroying all the cities in the path. You know there's trouble, don't you, when the boss himself comes. And the armies of these four kings make short work of the five kings and they carry all the people and all the possessions away. They raid the places, they take everything, including Lot and his family. Now, when there were this type of, of warfare, unthinkable things happened to women and children. And they take Lot, and they take his wife, and they take his children. And to all extents and purposes, Lot, Lot is a goner. Lot's finished now. He's been taken by this powerful king. He's, he's a slave at best. If not, he's going to be killed. But one of the people escapes. One of the people from the city escape, And they run to Abraham and they fill in Abraham about what's happened to Lot. Now remember, Lot's made his bed, hasn't he? Lot chose Sodom, knowing what it were like. And Abraham's got every right to feel aggrieved. Abraham's got every right to say, well, you, you know, you made your bed. You took advantage of me, you took advantage of my kindness, you made your bed, go lie in it. I wonder what we'd say if there was someone in the church and, and we'd been gracious to them and they'd abused our friendship and they made foolish decisions. There'd be a tendency for us to say, well, look, you've, you've made your choices, you've got to live with them. It'd be a temptation for us to, to feel vindicated, wouldn't they? I know they would with me. And maybe that crossed Abraham's mind, but if you remember, Abraham had done something stupid. Abram had done something foolish when he went down to Egypt and he, he lied about his wife. Remember who these kings are, the, the, the kings of Syria, Iran, Iraq and Turkey, the powerful kings. Abram's got 300 and tra 318 trained men, 318 soldiers. That sounds quite impressive. God's blessing Abram, but that's just not impressive against Iran, Syria, Iraq and Turkey, is it? But Abraham takes his 318 men off. They go in pursuit of these four kings. We're not told the details, but we're told that Abraham goes. He catches up with them. He fights with them. Some of them run off. And he rescues Lot and his family. And not only that, but he rescues, he regains the spoils that the four kings have taken. It's an epic victory. Lot must have been so relieved. Lot must, I'm sure Lot learned his lesson here. I'm sure Lot learnt his lesson, and I'm, I'm sure we'll never see Lot in Sodom again. 
He's had such a close escape. So Abraham returns and he's rescued the, four, the, the five kings from the four kings and now meets two more kings. Eleven kings so far in this. Oh no, one of them's the same king. Ten kings in this passage. He meets two more kings when he comes back and they're very different. One's called Bera, he's the king of Sodom. The other's called Melchizedek, he's the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem. This man Melchizedek, who we meet, we, we hear no more of him after this. And Melchizedek, we're told, is also a priest. And he brings out bread and he brings wine to Abraham. He wants to treat Abraham well because he trusts in Abraham's God. Four times, um, the, the, we're told, he's the priest of God most high. And when Melchizedek comes and he wants to honor Abraham, well, Abraham wants to honor him, so Abraham offers him a tithe. It's the first time I think we heard tithing talked about in the Bible. Abraham blesses him with a tithe of the spoils. This is a tithe before the law came in. You know, we think, well, it's the law that talks about tithing. No, no it's not. Why does, why does Abraham tithe to Melchizedek? It's a response because Melchizedek's blessed him. And that's our pattern, isn't it? It's, it's something to give us a pattern. Why do we tithe? Well, it's free will, but we do it in recognition of God's goodness. It's never been about law. It's never been about command. It's a response to God's goodness. And then after we've met Melchizedek, this gracious king, we meet Bera, the king of Sodom. Melchizedek's name means king of peace. And now we come to the king of Sodom. This king's been defeated. He's got no rights. But he comes to Abram. And while Melchizedek owed Abram nothing but gave to him, Bera, the king of Sodom, owes Abram everything but has a very different attitude. He just comes along and he says, Give me the people, you keep the spoil. No thanks. He's just abrupt, he's arrogant, he's ungrateful. Now, as the one who defeated those kings, Abraham had the right to whatever he wanted, to the victor, the spoils. Abraham, if he wanted to, Abraham could take the whole lot, but he doesn't take anything. His response is, look, I'll trust God to bless me. Remember the promise. Remember the promise of, of the land. This is one of Abraham's opportunity to take it for himself. And he says, no, I'm not taking, I'm not having anything off you. Um, the Lord will give to me. He don't want anything from Berah because he doesn't want it to be said, Berah's made Abraham rich. Berah's made Abraham profitable. Abraham wants to say, the Lord's done this for me. See, Abraham's he's settled where his treasure is, hasn't he? He knows, he knows that by faith his destiny is going to inherit the land. I trust God to do it. I don't need to fight. The Lord said to him, the land that you see, I'll, I'll give it to you and your descendants forever. See, when we understand what God's got in store for us, we don't need to fight for recognition down here, do we? We don't need to grasp. What does it matter if we, if we turn down opportunities to get rich and opportunities to better ourselves down here? Because we're, we're getting everything one day. I love what happens next. The Lord comes to Abraham at the end in chapter 15, verse 1. Read, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. 
you see what's happened? Abraham's refused to um, take the best land off Lot, even though it was his right. Abraham's refused to take the spoils from King Berah, even though it was his right. Because Abraham wants his prophet to come from the Lord. And the Lord says to him, Abraham, I'm going to be your shield and I'm going to reward you. What's a shield for? It's for protection, isn't it? The Lord's saying to Abraham, I'm your protection and I'm your reward. Now I want to think about what all of that's teaching us. Firstly, think about Lot. Lot's had the closest of escapes, hasn't he? Lot had lost everything when he was taken from Sodom. Is that a very near miss? If, if Abraham hadn't have stepped in, Lot would have been a slave or he'd have been dead. And his wife and daughters, it don't bear thinking about what they'd have been. And as Lot's carted away from Sodom, he must have been thinking, what have I done? Why did I bring my family to Sodom? And yet the next time we meet Lot, he's back living in Sodom. Lot doesn't learn from his close escape, his near miss. This was Lot's chance. In a few chapters' time, Lot's family come to a horrible end. His wife dies, his married daughters end up getting him drunk, and he ends up fathering children to, to him. And them children go on to form two of the most nasty nations that have existed on earth. What a fool Lot was. Some, some of us here, we, we might have had experiences like Lot's where we've been mercifully rescued from stupid mistakes and we say, don't go back. Don't go back to them. Don't repeat them. Peter says, doesn't he? He talks about a dog that returns to its vomit or a pig that gets washed and goes back to play in the mud. Well, that's what Lot was doing. That's what we do sometimes with sin, isn't it? The Lord rescues us from what could have been a disaster. And before we know it, we're back doing the same things. The Lord rescues us. When the Lord rescues us, let's not go back to the sins that he's rescued us from. Remember Lot. Next, I want to think about the two kings. You've got Melchizedek and Berah. The names tell us everything we need to know. Melchizedek, king of Salem, means king of righteousness, king of peace, and he was. God said he'd bless Abram, and Melchizedek does that. Melchizedek's a worshipper like Abram, and he comes, to, comes on the scene and then disappears, but he shows gratitude to Abram. And then we've got King Berah, king of Sodom. His name means king of evil. He'd lost everything. He should have been humbled, but he's not. He's had a close escape, but he's not interested in Abram's God. If you know the story of the Bible, you can't help but read this encounter, can you, with one eye on the fact that Sodom's going to be destroyed. This is God's mercy. Even the king of Sodom, this wicked bloke, this is his chance to encounter Abraham's God. Abraham tells him about his God. He says, my God is the most high. He's the possessor of heaven and earth. And Berah has the opportunity here, just like Melchizedek did. He's got the opportunity. I pledge allegiance to this God. But he doesn't. He has his close call and he goes back to being the same bloke. That happens with some people, doesn't it? How many times do we, see that, do we see that God judges wickedness? People don't get away with it. Lot's got the opportunity to turn from his foolish choices. Berah's got the opportunity, probably the only opportunity in his life to, to turn from his lifestyle. But he's got no interest whatsoever. 
I think we've probably got more potential to be like Lot than, than bearer. Foolish rather than outright wicked. But he had his chance. And it's a reminder to us that God gives opportunities even to wicked people. But it's a reminder that some people get more chances than others. Bera never got another chance. Then we come to Abraham. Abraham, as we mentioned, he had a near miss of his own. But he's learned the lesson of grace. He goes after Lot. James tells us, doesn't it? He who turns a sinner from the error of his way saves a soul from death. That's what, that's what Abraham's done. Or it's what he's sought to do. Regardless of whether Lot falls back, Abraham's is exemplified the attitude we need to remember. When we see someone fall, when we see someone do something stupid, we, we often mourn, we often use them as a, as a warning to other people, but how many of us seek to go after them? Abraham's got great faith. He takes on these four kings with a small army. Abraham doesn't have a price. That's what I like about him. He, he can't be bought. You hear it said, don't you? Everyone's got a price. But, but Abraham didn't have a price. Because Abraham, he'd set his eyes on a city whose builder and maker was God. What, what Abraham did for Lot was actually, it was an, an act of redemption. It was Abraham's right as Lot's closest relative to have the opportunity to redeem him or to rescue him. See, Abraham's a picture, isn't he, of, of us at our best. Lot's was at our worst. Abraham's was at our best. And we tend to live somewhere between those two. But beyond that, Abraham points us, doesn't he, to a better redeemer. We're like, we, 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 again, we love to read these stories and think, I'm like Abraham. We're generally not. We're like Lot, probably. We make silly and sinful and foolish choices. Jesus comes and rescues us. He redeems us from our enemies and he restores us because he loves us. Not because we're good, just because he loves us. We've we got a far greater enemy than, than Cheddar Lamer and his mates. The Bible tells us we're captive to sin and we're captive to Satan. And Jesus comes and Jesus defeats him and he brings us back. And it costs him his own life. And we're told, don't go back to walking in those ways again. I think the final person that this passage teaches us about his God. Four times he's referred to as God Most High. He's referred to as the possessor of heaven and earth. This, this passage, a lot of this passage is about who owns what, isn't it? You know, these kings stealing from other kings and taking land and, and taking possessions and Abraham forfeiting possessions and Lot trying to get possessions and Melchizedek giving possessions away and we're told the Lord's the possessor of heaven and earth. He owns it all, it's his to give. He's the sovereign king. Abraham's grasped that. We meet 10 kings in this chapter. Here's the, here's the king that matters. Here's the one we need to please. Here's the one that Abraham wants to please. And I'll, I just love that way that, that at the end of all this, when Abraham's shown faith, the Lord comes to him and he, he says, that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. As I said, a shield protects the Lord's saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm your protection. Abraham, you trust me and you try and do what's right. I'm your protection. 
In Psalm 3, David's in trouble and David's being slandered, but he turns to the Lord, he says, Lord, you're my shield. Do we trust the Lord enough to, to say, I'm going to do what's right, Lord, you be my shield. You fight my battles, I'm, I'm going to do what's right. Throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs, this, this image that comes again, the Lord's the shield of his people. Proverbs 2 says, he's a shield for those that walk uprightly. Psalm 84, I love part of Psalm 84, verse 10, it says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Lord, I'd rather have a tiny bit of what you've got to give me than everything that, that these king, this king can give me. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Abraham got that. He got that if he didn't, he didn't have to fight for possessions. If he fought for righteousness, I don't have to fight for possessions. I don't have to be sneaky. I don't have to get things off wicked people. Because the Lord won't hold anything good back from me. He's my shield and he's my reward and he's the same for us. Abraham had forsook his reward, hasn't had any. He'd forsook his wages. He let the, 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 the soldiers take some spoil, but... Abraham doesn't, and, and, and it's the Lord saying, Abraham, this is what you get. You get me. What, what do we get if we, if we trust the Lord? What do we get if we trust in the Lord's promises rather than trying to grab things for ourselves? What do we get if we forsake looking after number one and put the Lord first? He says, you get me. You get his righteousness. You get his peace. You get his love. You get his care. You get his mercy. You get his forgiveness forever by allowing God to be God. This life is hard, isn't it? We, the, the tragedy is when people try and find their own way in life, try and get their own reward in life. But what we, what we love about Abraham, why Abraham's the, the man of faith, is faith sees beyond this life. Faith sees beyond what I can take for myself. How could we cope I don't know how I'd cope if, I do forget it, but I keep remembering it. I don't know how I'd cope with the pressures of life if I didn't know that Jesus was my shield and he was my reward. How, how would you cope with all the, the rubbish that happens in this world if we don't understand Jesus is my reward, he's my shield, and he won't withhold any good thing? How can you, if, if you're not a Christian, how can you go through life without Jesus as your reward and your shield? So if we learn anything from close shaves and close encounters and being rescued, let it be this. We, we trust the Lord as our shield. We trust the Lord as the one who fights for us, the Lord who, who rewards us, and we try and do what's right. And we might be, we, we will do foolish things. We, we might do foolish things and be rescued and spared and spared and spared and spared. But one day, if we don't learn the lesson of grace we'll be swallowed up and there'll be no coming back. That's what happens with Lot's family. Let me pray. Father, help us to learn the lessons of grace. Help us, Lord, to learn from the times that you've rescued us from potential dangers. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we behave like Lot when you rescue us and we go back to stupid sins. Help us learn that lesson, we pray, Father.
Help us not to keep chasing after this world. Help us to learn to pursue joy rather than just happiness. Have mercy on us, we pray. Amen. When the music starts, we'll stand and sing, and I don't know what we're singing. Great God of wonders. Let's stand and sing together. is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Amen.